0: Well, good, morning. good morning. Nice to see you again this morning. We're not going to be reading the passage of Scripture this morning because um, it's very long, and also because I'm going to be reading parts of it throughout the sermon. So um, that's just a, a forward knowledge on that. It's quiz time. This morning we're going to start with a quiz. Great, you say. I wish we had gone to the 10.30 service since you say that. But wait, the quiz that I'm about to give you is actually going to be the simplest quiz that you've ever taken. Because what we're going to do is do everything in reverse. We're going to start with the answer, then we're going to work back to the question that you have to guess, and then from there we're going to go back and do some prep together. Right? Did you get that? We're going to start with the answer. You've got to work out the question that goes with that answer, and then we'll do some prep together. So the good news is that you can't fail since you already have the answer. Why didn't our teachers give us quizzes like this growing up? Okay, here we go. Here is a video that has the answer, the question's been cut out, and you have to then tell me, and I'm actually gonna ask you, so keep on your toes, what is the question that drives this answer? Go ahead. Okay, there you go. That was a long answer, wasn't it? But what is the question that he was asked at the beginning? What do you think? Okay, are Christians under the law? Excellent. Let's take a look at what the question was. Okay, excellent. Well done. So one out of one. Well, we're not grading you, remember? You've already got the answer. So here is our second quiz. It's going to be a lot shorter, but a little more tricky. There are two verses that are appearing on the screen. And I'm going to read them to you. And based on those, you have to tell me what the question is. And let me give you a clue. The question here is going to be similar, building on the previous question. Okay. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And then Acts 2.23, Peter speaking at Pentecost. He says... Jesus was handed over to you, Jews, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of those not having the law, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's trickier, isn't it? I should have had a plant here in the congregation. What do you think is the, uh, is the question? don't know. No wrong answers, remember, because we're talking about questions. Here is the question. Were you and I ever under the law? Because, see, if you go back and look at those two verses, it distinguishes those who are Jews living under the law and Gentiles who were not under the law, who did not have the law. So again, according to those two verses, the answer, unless you're a Jew, is no. Whoa, okay. How can this be? What does this even mean? Well, notice in the first place that it has to do with belonging. It has to do with belonging. You see, the law creates belonging. This is true in general. Think about a basketball game. The rules in a basketball game say that to get onto the court, you have to be a member of one of the teams. If you're not a member of one of the teams, you don't get to be on the court. And in fact, even if you are a member of one of the teams, the coach, according to the rules, is only allowed to let a certain number of people onto the court at any one time. Five people, both coaches. So only a total of 10 players are allowed to be on the court at any one time. In other words, to belong to the game of basketball, that game of basketball, as a player, you need to be under the rules. You need to be under the law of that game in order to be playing on that team. Well, think about this. Have you ever heard the expression to be outlawed? We know that term, don't we? It's kind of a romantic term. Robin Hood was an outlaw. And those of us who like camping would say, it's kind of cool, sleeping in the forest, living off the land, but it wasn't. In England in the Middle Ages, to be outlawed was an absolute disaster because if you were outlawed, if you were out from under the law, it, mean, it meant that society had washed its hands of you. You no longer belonged. So if someone saw you and they didn't like the way you did your hair, they could whack you on the head, throw you in a river. They could. If they, didn't, uh, if they wanted to, they could chain you up and make you a slave. If they wanted to, they could take your land, or your money, or your wife, or your children. You became, at this point, a foreign body, like a virus. There was no place for you any longer. You did not belong. So here, then, is our first and massive problem, actually. You and me... Biblically speaking, unless we were born as Jews, we're never belonging. We were never under God's people. We were never in that place. We were never in a position where God was obliged to you and me. We were not under God's responsibility because we were not under law. So we should have no expectation of God helping us. But... There is a solution. And I wonder what, whether you know what it is, or rather, who it is. What do you think? Jesus. Jesus. Exactly. I told you this would be an easy quiz. Jesus. Remember that illustration where the, uh, the teacher comes along to a Sunday school class, and she holds up a picture of a small furry animal, and she asks the class whether they know what it is, and everyone is silent. Then all of a sudden one little girl blurts out, Well, I know that the answer needs to be Jesus, but it sure looks like a chipmunk. <laughs> but see, in our case, the answer is Jesus. Jesus, according to Romans 1:3, is the king. The king in the line of David. And anyone who comes into a relationship with Jesus comes into a relationship with the king, with the ruler. And so we come in under the people of God. We, the Bible actually says, become Israel. We become the true Israel. So we come in under the law. Therefore, we belong. Isn't that good news? Happy days. We finally have a place among the people of God. It's good news. Well, it is and it isn't because it creates a new problem, doesn't it? Out of the fry pan, into the fire. Why? Tell me. Because we can't keep the law. We come in with Christ into the people of God, and the problem is that we can't keep the Lord. That's what Romans 1 and 2 has been telling us all along. And the answer to this question is what? Jesus. I can't hear you. (laughs) One more time. Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the problem there as well. See, if you come into a personal relationship, not only do you come in belonging under the people of God, but Jesus then steps up as your hero and sacrifices himself and does all that the law requires, shielding you and I from punishment, giving us his goodness. It's like the story of a farmer who was driving home from from town one day because he saw a storm was brewing And there was no rain but there was a lightning strike in one of his fields and the field was torched. It went up in flames. Well as the dejected farmer walked through the field smoldering branches all around him he noticed a smoldering pile on the ground which perplexed him. He went over to it and he realized that it was a dead chicken a hen that had been burnt in the fire. As the flames had come through, the chicken was obviously feeding in the field and was caught in the fire and burnt. And he sighed, one more thing lost. But then all of a sudden he heard a sound and as he kicked at the smoldering mass, what would come out from under it but a bunch of baby chicks. This is a true story in fact a hen will gather around herself her chicks under her wing sheltering it them from any danger whether it's a predator or flames or whatever the chicks are protected under the wings of the chicken of the hen and this is what jesus does for us having brought us in under the law so that we belong we are now shielded by Jesus, what he does for us in his death and resurrection. He pays for your punishment. He does what you cannot do by keeping the law perfectly. See, take a look at the verses. And this, like I said, we're going to be reading some verses here. Romans 3, it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. There it is God's justice is fully satisfied. It reminds me of a time I was riding on an aeroplane. I was sitting next to a guy, an international businessman who'd grown up in the church. And as I told him that I was a pastor, he said to me, you know, I have one question that's always bugged me. Why did Jesus have to die? That's a good question, isn't it? Why couldn't God just have looked at us and said, forgiven, I'm a God who is full of mercy and compassion, forgiven, forgiven. The answer is that God had to remain God God the God who must judge the world in justice one day had to remain God but in remaining God he is filled with mercy he brings us under Jesus and therefore under the law but then he causes Jesus to keep the law fully for us isn't that good news isn't that wonderful news and amen belongs here So the two problems that we had, that we were not under law, so we didn't belong, and that having come under the law, we couldn't keep it, Jesus has fixed them both. Jesus has fixed both problems. Through us coming into a personal relationship with Jesus, we come under law, and then immediately we're covered by Jesus and sheltered by his wings. Jesus does it all. Jesus is a Swiss army knife. He does it all. Jesus is a printer scanner. He does it all. Jesus is a universal remote. He does it all. And all this comes through a personal relationship of faith in him. Take a look at the screen one more time. We're going to go look at the verses before this. But now apart from law a righteousness of god has made made known to which the law and prophets testify this righteousness of god comes through the trustworthiness of jesus christ to all who trust now and i promise you this is the only technical part in my sermon i've changed things up a little bit to make things clearer the word faith is at its core a relational word it means trust It always was a relational word, right from when the word was used at the beginning. It always had two sides to it, you see, two sides of a relationship. One person exercised trustworthiness, faithfulness, kindness, commitment, and then the response of the other person was to show kindness and commitment and trust and confidence back. There are always two parts to a relationship that make the whole like a lock and a key that together open the door for a relationship. And this is why the sign of faith in the ancient world was two hands shaking together. On coins, fides, the Latin word for faith, there was printed two hands shaking together. Because faith always had the one side of trust and confidence and the other side of trustworthiness, and the two went together hand in hand. That's why it's wrong when people say, you know, I'm saved by my faith and all they do is look in upon themselves and think it's all about me conjuring up faith. What is faith if not the natural reaction to somebody who has poured out a confidence before you? I like to look at it like this. Faith is like going to the doctor where he hits your knee with a hammer and your knee naturally jerks up. Faith is the natural response of anybody with half a brain. The problem is that oftentimes we don't have half a brain. So Romans 3.22 can, and I think should be read, the trustworthiness of Jesus Christ to all who trust. It's an expression of relationship. It's about Christ coming to us and clinging to us and us clinging to him. Okay, now we are ready to start our sermon for today. This may get a little old. I know I did this last time. But it's true enough. Now we arrive at the point, having done all of that hard, heavy lifting, and your brain might be throbbing already here a little bit, so it's, it's going to get easier from here. But today, we, now we're ready to start the sermon, because what I want to talk about is how God shows us in no uncertain terms that what he really wants from us, what he really wants from you and me, more than anything else, is that we live within a real and personal relationship with Jesus, not according to impersonal measures. Christianity is at its heart about a living relationship. And any time that Christianity becomes dry and a thing, about programs, about doing and just working on the treadmill, then Christianity has lost its heart and its lifeblood. You see, we live in a world that wants more than anything real relationships. I think the next generation is feeling this more and more. People are lonely. Even when we have people all around about us, we are lonely Because sometimes we feel used even by the relationships that we're in. Isn't that true? Do you ever feel like that? That the only reason why this person really wants to get to know you is because of what you can do for them. And so even around so many people, we struggle with real relationships. We can even struggle with real relationships in our marriage. Keith Green, the famous Christian singer from the 70s and 80s, wrote a song to his wife, and in it is the line For there are many whose friendships are known. They live together, but really alone. What we are all longing for is not just belonging under a set of rules, but a personal relationship of trust. And this is exactly what this passage tells us, is the very thing that God wants to do. So this morning, and I promise you we'll be out on time, I have three brief points that I want to cover. The first two relate to the expression apart from law, and the third point relates to the trustworthiness or faith in Jesus Christ. Notice first of all then, from verse 21, that all this is apart from law which in the first place I want to say means apart from distinction. Remember I said ago that we who are non-Jews were never under the law, meaning that we never belonged. But the Jews who had the law felt like they had it made. If you read anything of the history of of Judaism in history, you'll realize that that's been a problem for them. They have the brass ring. They have the gold star membership. They have the American Express platinum card. They have the badge. They have the lapel button. They have the cuff links. But Paul says, but now acceptance is apart from any such distinction. Two weeks ago, Ken was praying for us. And he said something in his prayer where he said that we as Christians ought of anyone... To be able to mend the tear in our society over racial factions. Jesus ought to be able to fix and mend it. And Ken was dead right. Who is it that can become one of God's people? Anyone. The five-year-old girl, the 90-year-old man. The powerful business executive, an unemployed student, the homeless person, the housewife, the hard labourer, the homecoming queen, the Hispanic, the Jew, the African, the African-American, the white American, the Australian, yes, even the Australian, the Chinese person, the Korean, the disabled person, the lover of beef, the vegan, the Republican, the Democrat, the war veteran, and the conscientious objector. Anyone who comes to Jesus and grabs his outstretched arm and comes into a relationship with him becomes a Christian. And this happens apart from law, apart from any external badge. You know, you've heard it said many a time, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen. That is the picture here. So how can you and I think that we are better than the next person? If God accepts us not based on anything of who we are, then how can we ever look at another human being and think of ourselves as somehow better than that person? You know what worries me most of all? It's not the person who's trying to honestly work out what they believe or trying honestly to come to grips with their own identity. It's the person who is arrogant because of what they have, that they think that this makes them better than the next person. You know, I was recently chatting to somebody. Uh, I was teaching somewhere, and there was a young person, and they told me about a friend's father who has a ministry in the church, where they go around and speak to churches about how Jesus ought to be that which reconciles the great divide within our society. Just like Ken's prayer. Just like the ground being level at the foot of the cross. Well, this girl goes on to tell me, right, get this, the guy speaking at churches, that this man receives multiple death threats every month directed not only at him but towards his four-year-old daughter sick anyone who would do such a thing is not a Christian let's cut through the gaff here and call things what they are plain and simple they are not Christians why is it because they would be so sick as to target a four-year-old girl that's awful of course but that's not the reason I say that they are not a Christian because they have not understood that salvation is apart from law. That it is apart from distinction. How about you? Have you realized the gospel? That becoming a Christian is apart from law? Apart from distinctions? Apart from anything that you have? If not, then you need to come to that level ground at the foot of the cross. But second, the same expression that I just talked about a second ago, apart from law, I want to apply here. Because it is apart from seeing God as boss. Now I realize even as I sent that off on Thursday to the team and then looked over my notes on Friday, this could be confusing. What I don't mean by this is that God isn't in charge anymore, that God isn't the boss, that God isn't God. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is that our salvation is apart from us seeing ourselves as wage earners, apart from seeing God as like a boss and employee. If you flip in your Bible over to Romans 4, 4 and 5, you'll see that Paul says this, now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. There it is, plain and simple wage earning. You do your job at work, you get your reward. But, Paul says, that's not the way things work, because in the very next verse he says, However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness imagine for a second if you had a close friend and your friend invited you to a coffee shop one day picture two women sitting at a coffee shop and the first woman says to her friend Margaret I've invited you to lunch today because I just wanted to be clear about the remuneration that should be expected as part of our friendship I'll be paying you compliments when you tell me about the good th- something good that you're doing. I'll be paying you a visit to your house once or twice a week to repay your kindness in dropping my kids at school. You text me several times a week, which means a lot to me, so I'll be paying you back by saying nice things to your friends, to our friends. At that moment, Margaret is feeling weirded out, and is signaling the waitress, quickly, come and get the checks. She's scanning the room for the exits, the emergency exits, here, here, and here. Why? Because this is bizarre. Now, sometimes sad to say, this is how relationships work, even though it's not stated up front, isn't it? But Romans 4 verse 5 says, however, to the one who does not work, and the NIV used to say, but trust God who justifies the wicked. Don't you love that? To the one who does not work, it's not about wage earning at all. It's about trusting the one who does it all for you. God doesn't see you as a wage earner. God doesn't see you as an employee. God doesn't see you functioning this way according to work. So don't think of God that way. And this then leads us to our third point, by faith. What if God, let's just say hypothetically, stick stick with me here. What if God redefined right and wrong? Okay, get that? What if God redefined right and wrong? And he redefined it in terms of one single commandment. And what if that single commandment was this? Trust my son. That was his commandment. Trust my son. Thou shalt trust my son. What an amazing thing that would be. It would be like saying, here's one of your rules of life. Here is the rule of life. All you have to do is love and enjoy your best friend. Wouldn't that be great? That's the, that's, we might say, well, there'll be disasters around the country, right? But, <laughs> but all that to say that if you personally realized, wow, this was the only rule. This was the rule of life. Love and enjoy your friend. It reminds me a little bit of a professor I had at seminary. Uh, he, was a, he, was a, he was a funny guy. He would walk into uh, Hebrew class, and this class was kind of a special class for the students who were especially keen to, learn, to go deeper into Hebrew. He'd walk into class, he'd throw his books down, he'd start teaching, and, and his tutorial assistant would put up his hand and say, Richard, Richard, um, you, you said to remind you we need to do a quiz. He goes, oh yes, of course. Tear off a scrap of paper and write the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, pass it on up. He'd get it up. And as soon as he got them, he wouldn't even look at him. He'd screw them up and throw them in the bin and say, right, let's do some Hebrew. Good job, 100% to everybody. See, because he knew that we love what we were doing and that we were there for that and that the quiz and the test of all things was really perfunctory. This is what is happening in Romans. Romans 1 verse 5 And 16.26, right at the beginning and right at the end, Paul talks about the obedience of faith. And then in Romans 3.27, right after our section, he talks about the law of faith. And the point here is not to create a new kind of law keeping, but quite the opposite. Take a look, if you you don't have to look, but just listen to me. John 6, verses 28 and 29. The disciples say to Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Do you know the answer, what Jesus says? What must we do to do the works that God requires of us? Anyone know the answer? The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. Isn't that beautiful? And I think that Paul is picking up on exactly the same point here. He's not trying to create a new kind of law-keeping, quite the opposite. We've already seen in Romans 4 that faith is not a law. Faith is not about contract or wage-earning or law-keeping. But what Paul wants wants us to know is that if we're going to think in terms of law if we have to think about what God wants you and I to do in order to be obedient, the answer is faith. Faith is a new kind of righteousness. God has set up a new system of obedience and it involves running and grabbing hold of Jesus. Now, this may be hard for us to even think about and stomach and accept, but amazing as it is, I th- believe it is true. And the implications are mind-blowing. How many of us as Christians struggle with the fact that we still sin? Yep, We do struggle, and we should struggle, because sin mess- messes everything up. But what this tends to make us want to do is run away from Jesus and back to that which we see we need to be keeping. We run away from Jesus and we run to the rules that we are breaking towards the criteria that we know that we're messing up to focus on the rules. I need to focus here, we say, because this is what I need to do instead of what I just did. But what if the chief rule that you need to keep, that God requires you to keep, is trust my son. Run to him. Then to obey when you mess up is to run back towards Jesus. Jesus and your relationship with him. Because get this, what has drawn you away into sin in the first place is that you have kept close to your Jesus. Jesus. So what must you do to do and to keep doing the works that God requires? You need to run back to Jesus. His faithfulness is the objective ground for our righteousness. Paul makes that clear. Not your faith. But his faithfulness and your faith go so hand in hand that Paul can say, that it is, in fact, your faith, your reaching out and coming into a relationship with Jesus that constitutes your righteousness. God is judging you according to a completely different standard. Are you trusting his son? Then you are his. You are righteous before him. You know, a problem as Christians is that we start out by running to Jesus and then think that the rest of the Christian life is about going it alone? It's so like someone who might tra- train to be a sailor, a lone sailor, a solo sailor on a boat. They need to learn how to sail, so they need to get on a boat with lots of people. But all the time they're thinking to themselves, soon I'll be rid of these people and I'll be all alone on my boat. Just me against the elements. But Maybe we don't think like that. But that's how we end up doing things in the Christian life. Goodbye, Jesus. Thanks for the training. I'm off to do this solo. We're like the Galatians. Paul in Galatians 3 verse 1 says, you foolish Galatians, you mindless Galatians, literally, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. This only I wish to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, to now think that you will be made perfect in the flesh? I could say it to us, couldn't we? Oh foolish apostle members, who has bewitched you? We began with the cross, we began with the Holy Spirit, we began by falling in love with Jesus because of all that he's done with us. We were walking with him. We were talking with him. We were living to please him. It was all so relational. And then somehow, like Margaret and her friend, we imagine that God invited us out to a coffee shop for that weird talk. Where does this come from? From the pit of hell, of course. Don't you think that the devil would love nothing nothing more? The one who broke the perfect relationship where God walked with the man and the woman in the garden. Don't you think that that same devil wants to break your relationship with Jesus? To make it stale and stagnant by you living according to rules and focusing on that instead of focusing on Jesus. Jesus is your life. He knows that. And so he knows that if he can drag you into making Christianity about propositions and things, that he will have won the day. But what's the answer? Well, it's easy. Start obeying God's command. That's nice, isn't it? Because you know what that means. It means running back to Jesus. Maybe here you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I am a Christian, but I've been wandering away to things rather than Jesus. What do I do? Well, it's easy. You just come back to him. Maybe you've been here this morning, though, and you think, I don't even know if I am a Christian. I'd almost want to say to you, who cares? Because the answer is the same whether or not you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Run to Jesus. Jesus, you see, is the answer to everything. Jesus is the focal point, Jesus is the beginning, Jesus is the end, Jesus was what the creation was about, Jesus was what the world is about, he is what your life is about, Jesus is everything. And not Jesus as an idea, but Jesus as a person. He wants you to walk with him, he wants you to talk with him, he wants you to love him, And experience his love back through him working in your circumstance through answering prayer that's what it means to be a christian and that's what paul picks up on in romans chapter 3 you know many years ago there was an old man who had a miraculous promise from god that he would have a son problem was it seemed medically impossible his wife had been diagnosed that she couldn't have children And he himself had been shown to be sterile. They already had tried alternative family planning approaches, but all had failed. And the man's name was, I see some people smiling, (laughs) Abraham, right? The Abraham. And in the second part, which we didn't get to cover, Paul tells us the story to illustrate everything he's just said. Let me just read to you part of Romans 4, Romans chapter 4, verse 21. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. See, it's personal. It's about God making a promise and him believing it. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith becomes his righteousness. His trust in God becomes his righteousness. And so too for you and I as we put our faith in Jesus. Where are you at today? Well, I'm not sure where you're at, but the solution is always the same, isn't it? There's an old saying, all roads lead to Rome. And in fact, in the Roman world, that was exactly the case. Rome was the center of everything, and it built these amazing roads, and this amazing network of roads all came back to the center, which was Rome itself. For us, all roads lead back to Jesus. He is our center. He is our all. And it is your relationship with him That is what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray together. Lord, it's all so easy, and it's understandable in so many ways, because we don't see you. We won't yet see you, Lord Jesus, but we know that over and over again in the New Testament, people were crying, come, Lord Jesus, Because they knew that it was about seeing you. It was about a relationship with you. You were the one that had captured their imagination. They loved you. And they wanted to see you again. Lord, we don't see you yet. And sometimes we confess that we don't even long to see you. Because we have been so blinded by things around about us. But Lord, my prayer this morning is that we might grasp afresh. Yes, you have kept all that is necessary for our justice. Yes, Jesus, you have done it all. You have paid it all. But Lord, thank you that our salvation is apart from law, is apart from distinction and apart from us doing anything to earn it, and that it is indeed through a righteousness of faith. Thank you for your commandment. We love you, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.